Welcome to the first ever voice only How Did You podcast. Today we're joined with Paul Farrar, a TV composer. First and foremost, Paul, how would you describe what you do? Could probably be quite lofty and say media composer, but uh, possibly a, a more accurate uh, one is TV composer um, because I, I don't do many video game type things and I don't do many. Uh, uh, sort of adverty type things so it's it's mainly just tv work how did you manage to get into the role that you currently do paul uh well i, I had a very uh, musical upbringing um I, my, uh, I i used to sing in the worcester cathedral performance choir i used to be interested in synthesizers and things that make funny noises and all that sort of stuff um and when i was 16 um i left school and started a um uh, a work experience, uh, sort of a, a youth training scheme, like an apprenticeship thing in a in a in a vocal recording studio, uh, which was sort of mainly doing sort of uh, bands and you know being a tea boy and setting up sessions and stuff like that. Uh, but uh, they also did a few sort of jingles and radio things. And because I'd had a very musical upbringing, I assumed that everyone in the studio would know about music, and they didn't. They were technical people, they knew about my kit, drum kit, and stuff. So if ever a job came in that required um, you know, me to play the piano or arrange some vocals or something. They they sort of give it to me, and I'd end up uh, I'd end up doing it. You speak about having a musical upbringing and how you're surrounded by lots of different kinds of music. What kind of music did you listen to when you were younger? Oh, so, so I, I just, there was so much the music I listened to. It was the music that I was exposed to. So I was in the. Uh, the choir at the cathedral and so obviously you know every week it was this amazing you know classical choral music that was you know from mass and stuff like Haydn and, and various things but as part of that we'd also sing um in in concerts so we'd be the choir in you know they'd be doing you know Britain's Sea Symphony or, or one of these huge you know amazing orchestral works and of course obviously the way that it works is you've got the orchestra in the you know in the, in the pit and you've got the violins at the front and then the brass at the back and then there's the choir so I'd be sitting in the front row of the choir and it would be like you know I'd be three feet away from the percussion section of the Liverpool Philharmonic or something you know that was a it was a pretty formative experience and you know I mean I'm sure you know if you've ever heard a big symphony orchestra in in the room it's it's an absolutely amazing thing um but to actually be sitting sort of literally in the orchestra while this stuff's happening it's it was just absolutely it was like rocket fuel being poured into my head and i think around that time i started getting into classical music but other things i was really interested in synthesizers samplers the early days of sampling i was really into people like jean-michel jarre and those kind of type of stuff um and yeah I, I think when i was probably about nine or ten i think i went to go and see et or something I just remember that there was a sort of a moment where it kind of all clicked for me that, you know, when T takes off on his bike, that, that just the music and the, the media, the, the moving the moving image um, was just like, just absolutely brilliant. And it kind of just blew my mind. And I just, I don't quite know what's happening to me, but I just want to be part of that. You've previously mentioned who you looked up to. Is there anybody that you look up to currently? Absolutely. I mean, it's just everybody, basically. Everybody who isn't me seems to be making better music than me. So, I mean, I mean, just in my immediate vicinity, you know, the, the people in my... I think when you're a musician and you create music, you, you're constantly just looking at what everyone else is doing. And you're constantly... 
I don't know if you're comparing yourself to them, well, you probably are comparing yourself to them, but I mean, I mean, people like film composers like Hans Zimmer and John Williams and, you know, James Newton Howard and Thomas Newman, all these people that I just, you know, they're gods amongst men as far as I'm concerned. Um, but also really great innovative stuff happening in, in, in the TV landscape. You know, I'm, I'm very fortunate to know, you know, a lot of the big TV composers and I, I love hearing what they come up with and, uh, you know, the sort of camaraderie of sharing sort of like, you know, things that we do and things that we say and uh, the noises that we make you know it's really interesting being you know noticed by your peers which is a lovely feeling because you know most of the time it's a pretty lonely profession where you sort of sit at home and you know terrified that everyone's gonna laugh at what you do you've received quite a lot of credit for the great theme tunes that you've produced like don't sell our nice the chase and things like that but most recently it's the wheel by michael mcintyre how did that come about It seems, it seems to have taken on a life of its own. So the wheel, I, I, I was saying this to, to some people I knew a couple of weeks ago, it, it's very strange, you know, that the shows that do well, well, first of all, you, you have absolutely no idea which shows are going to do well and which ones aren't. The only indicator that I've had across my career is that shows that announce themselves as being, wow, this is going to be good, that have great talent attached to them, have a great production company that you think, wow, this is the job to get, Nine times out of ten, they actually don't, they, they, they usually do really badly. Um, the shows that kind of just are quiet and just get on with it and they're kind of humble, they keep their head down and you do it and everyone's nice and it just, suddenly those are the ones that can take off. I mean, a good example being The Weakest Link when I did that some 20, uh, 22 years ago, whenever it was. You know, it didn't it didn't announce itself as anything. It was a pilot in the daytime with the ginger haired woman off points of view. You know, it was just it didn't it didn't announce itself as being big or special in any way, and yet it ended up gobbling the whole planet. And the wheel was sort of the similar sort of thing. So obviously I would worked with Michael McIntyre a lot on the few shows in the past and I, I was musical director of um, his Saturday night show, Michael McIntyre's big show, which was a wonderful, wonderful theatre show and it had I always used to do the um, unexpected Star Trek and work with the artists and all that sort of stuff. Um, but obviously with COVID couldn't do it so in the middle of lockdown this sort of Michael came up with this idea of you know everyone's socially distanced on this spinning disc and you know how do we how do we get it going and and actually probably about 80% of my work on the wheel was um timing you know image uh, sort of engineering schematics to try and get the spin of this thing right with the, the effects of the speed up and the slowdown and i had a little idea for a little theme tune i thought well it'd be fun to do something really uncool and funky like a 90s new jack swing thing and michael really liked it and the team really liked it and then then we just made it and we made it in lockdown and it sort of went out over christmas and everyone was sort of locked in and, and it just seems to have developed a life of its own it's just absolutely for some reason that theme tune just seems to have got under people's skin and people it's become a sort of a meme and people are mentioning <laughs> on twitter and it's I, I'm, I, I'm not quite sure how i feel about it i'm definitely happy with it it's a lovely piece of music and it works well for the context of the show and i think probably one of the parts of the the unique selling part of it is that michael really loves it and he's got nothing to do while the wheel's spinning so he just stands at the wheel and sings along to it and all the other contestants and the celebrities all sing along to it so it's like a kind of a a knees up sing along down the pub kind of feel to it which is lovely i mean it's a huge it's hugely complimentary to me it's it's very flattering but i i i kind of look at it like every other bit of music you do which is you try your best you try and get under the skin of the show and then you finish it and you send it off and then you forget all about it really in a way and you're on to the next job and you know you've already done three other jobs by the time that one comes on tv and you look at it and go oh i remember that and it's sort of you know it's quite you're sort of quite disconnected from it in a way and it's such a lovely feeling when people it means something to people or it connects to people but but that's you know that's quite rare that that happens 
your IMDB says that your nickname is Ocean Hair. How did that come about? This is really funny because I, I, okay, so that was put by a mate of mine, Paul, who interestingly is a very, very good guitarist who I was working with only five days ago. Uh, he was playing some guitar on the NBC version that I'm uh, doing some bits for of the wheel because Michael's over there at the moment filming the, the American version of it and he plays it. And, and we grew up together, he's an old mate of mine from school. And um, in the early, early days of IMDb, I didn't have a clue what it was. I, I, I used to have a full head of hair. And he always used to take the mickey out of me because my hair was wavy. So he called me Ocean Hair. And I have absolutely no idea how it got on there other than him putting it on a few years ago. But the point was, I have absolutely no idea how to change it or take it off. So it's just stuck there, which is ironic because I'm a complete slapper now. I don't hear at all. But just there it is. The internet never forgets. You know, I think there's, I think there are people that have worse things on the internet than which they didn't have. But that's mine. So I'm happy with that. I never actually use IMDb. I know everyone swears by it, but I, I find it a bit confusing. I kind of look at it and go, oh, right. I, I, I never put anything of mine i'm sure it's great and the times that i've flicked in it i think oh no, I, I see that there's stuff that i've completely forgotten about that someone's put up there and i think okay that's clever you've been working on films since around the 1990s what genre of film would you work on if you could uh, i don't know really i mean um i mean films are a sort of different beast unto themselves I, I wouldn't describe myself as a film composer but i have done i did a film last year i did a big uh, red dwarf um special which was wonderful 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 fun it was really good and i enjoyed it um uh, it turned out okay i think um I, I think any film or television project is there's something a bit unusual something is a bit kind of like ah, that's something i haven't tried before i think as a composer you're always looking to try and sort of push yourself into areas that you're not familiar with I think just as a musical challenge and even if you're asked to do something in a genre that you're familiar with I, I always try and push my clients into areas that they may not have thought so whether it's kind of like well have you thought about doing it like this or you know a different time signature or different instruments or whatever and I, I suppose it's a bit of a tricky one because ultimately the reason that they're calling you in the first place is because they know you have a real track record of making a certain type of thing for a certain type of show, which is lovely and it's complimentary, but at the same time, you kind of want them to embrace that, oh, you can do other things. Have you thought about pushing it in this direction and stuff? So it's kind of a, it's sort of a, a mutual trust thing where you're sort of trying to hold each other's hand and just move into different areas, you know, that are sort of perhaps unexpected or you know, could, be, could be fun, could be different. Oh, definitely. You've always got to have your own kind of creative flair, but talking about that, you've worked on lots of different genres from Coronation Street at Christmas to Beat the Chasers. What kind of differences is there between the kind of genres that you work in? Is there any? Yeah, they're totally, they're, they're totally different. I mean, which ones I prefer? I mean, I prefer anything that gives you a bit of time and space to experiment with new things, anything that allows you to work with new people, particularly live instrumentalists. Not a lot of, you know, not all jobs have that time and space to be able to, to get a big orchestra, for example, but some of them do. And you look at things like yeah, playing around with the Coronation Street theme or, or, or dramas or all those sort of things. They all have their own sort of unique sort of challenge um and that kind of uh, any job that i'll put it like this any job that you sort of have to bolt in some other musicians is always good so any show that allows you 
to bolt in some really interesting players or do something interesting that you haven't done before. Um, like things like Ninja Warrior, that was a big orchestra. The Chase was a real string section. Um, you know, done other things that are more, more guitar based or, or brass sections or whatever. So it's all very anything that gives you variety and gives you the time and the space to you know really roll your sleeves up and have a collaborative musician process. I think those are the those are the ones. But obviously, because it's music for a particular thing, the most important thing is you know being true to the to the genre so what you, your, your approach to beat the chasers would be different to your approach to you know Emmerdale or Coronation Street or you know Antideck thing or something it's always about serving the narrative of whatever's in front of you but that can be comedy some of it could be entertainment some of it could be drama could be all sorts of things Paul if you had to choose a TV show which was your favourite which one would it be? Uh, which one do I like to work on? Which do I like to uh, play? Uh, well, the honest answer is um, I don't really watch very much television. I watch hardly anything. Um, I'm, I'm too busy reading. A bit of a dweeb. Um, the shows I like to work on, honestly, the shows I like to work on are the shows that have the best people working on Good producers, um, uh, interesting creative people doing interesting creative things, uh, people who trust you, people who say, you know, let's go on this journey together. What can you do? Um, those are always the best shows. And actually, the genre of it doesn't really matter because, you know, there could be, you know, whatever it is that you can find some some joy and some 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 originality and some art in it. Whether it's a celebrity ice skating thing or whether it's a you know a big heavy dark serious quiz or, or whatever it is, you know, there's still there's always fun to be had. You know, there's always creativity to be had. Let's go back to the orchestral sound that you mentioned that you love working in. How did you find the experience of working in a thousand heartbeats? Well, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, Thousand Hobbies was a very different experience because it was my show. I came up with the idea for it. So it, it was sort of a, I was in the weird position of being the composer for a show that I'd invented. So all of the music was specific to, you know, the things that were going on in the, in the various rounds. And, and I was also on screen waving my arms around with the quartet. So that was, I mean, first and foremost, it was a, um, it was, I, I spent so long writing music for quiz shows that I kind of thought, well, I want to write, I want to create a quiz show now to get me some music. So, and it was just a different way of approaching that. And ITV liked it and we got a couple of series out of it and it, it, it didn't do very well. Um, and it's, it's currently being uh, made in Philippines and somewhere else as well. But the point is, as, as a show, it was just, it was really exciting for me to have a live string quartet there because I just thought, what you can do with that musically in terms of tempo and up and down and having fun with it and building expression and tension and all those other key elements uh, that you need in a quiz show it's, it's so great to have it there and, and most of the TV people I were talking to were so, were so amazed that you could even do that what you mean you could speed something up while you're playing it and I was kind of like yeah that's so, so obvious to a musician but of course if you, if you didn't know that you wouldn't know that so no it was great it was, really, it was a really fun project to do it was, it was, I learned a lot an awful lot about you know, the mechanics of TV um, which is great, which is always, always fun. Continuing on with misconceptions, what is, you would say, the biggest misconception that people have of your day-to-day -day job? Uh, uh, probably the most common misconception is that um, uh, people always equate um, the bit of TV that they see, which is obviously famous people, and sort of tabloidy celebrity type world they equate that with all levels of the people that work on it um and obviously the the famous person in front of the camera is 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 you know really just five percent of what's going on in a show you know but we're, we're all working to sell the lie we we sell the lie that bradley walsh 
thinks up the questions on the chase. That, that is the lie. In other words, they're just popping out of his mouth. And they're, they're, of course, they're not. They've got the team of question writers and the people who are doing the sets, the people who are doing the, the legal affairs, the script writing, the, you know, the lighting, or the, the direction, the editing, all this sound dubbing, all these sort of things. And these people who work in these are, you know, fascinating areas. All these genres are absolutely fascinating. I remember going to the George Lucas soundstage at Elstree Studios uh, when we filmed Dancing on Ice. And just when you sit there in the audience, there's these guys who sort of, you know, just before it gets going, they, they roll these little tiny sort of ropey ladders down from the ceiling and sort of about half a dozen guys climb up them and sit in these little chairs high up in the roof. I mean, there must be like 200 feet above everything. And they control the sort of super trooper lights that sort of beam and follow the celebrities around the ice. And you just think, just seeing that, seeing that there's a discipline there of people who do that for a living, you think, my God, you know, you would never even think of that yeah. when you're watching TV, you know, and just seeing all these, just the sheer technicality of what goes on behind the scenes. It's, to me, personally, it's just such a fascinating thing to meet these people and talk to them. And, of course, they are as specialist in their area as you are in yours. So I spent my entire life, you know, thinking about oboes and reverbs and, you know, mastering units and EQ and all this sort of stuff in the same way that they are completely obsessed with their corner of the craft. And I think that that's a, that's a lovely thing to experience and to see, you know, the depth of talent at all levels of these things. You've been in the Royal Variety Performance for multiple years now. Alongside that, you biggest TV show theme tunes that we've heard. Is there a moment in your head that sticks out? I, I mean, I, I'll, the, the honest truth is, when we talk about you know things that are successful, there's different ways of measuring it. There's success as in you know how many people have ever heard it. Um, you look at something like The Weakest Link was like 97 countries or something. You think the number of people that have ever heard The Weakest Link must be in the you know numbers of billions of people. Is that what we call success, or is success something that you're personally proud of? In other words, you have a you know you've written a piece and and, and it just means something to you. And for example, I've, there's quite a few pieces that I've written that I think oh yeah that's really good, and yet they're not appropriate for what I'm working on, or perhaps no one's ever heard them, perhaps no one ever will. You know, so in terms of my own personal satisfaction it's it's totally up in the air it's always lovely when anyone kind of recognizes something you've done or they they've they ask you what you do and you tell them well i work on you know these type of shows they go oh i watch that and it's really interesting my uh, on my youtube channel i've got some people who comment on um on you know people comment on youtube clips obviously and it's so interesting the, the the number of the comments about the shows the vast majority of them particularly shows like Weakest Link and The Chase, are relating to um, uh, sort of familiarity. You know, oh, I always used to watch this at my nan's after school or, you know, all this sort of stuff. And it's so interesting the way that people receive television. It's sort of, uh, they invite it into their homes and, and it means a lot to them, you know. With all these things, it's about, um, you know, it's about taking the lead from the show. So um, Michael, for example, with the wheel, that's a perfect example, is, uh, you know, the wheel spins around, it must spin around know, 20 times an episode or whatever. And, you know, there's a worry that, you know, maybe we could break it up a bit with something to do and, and do something different. Um, in America, I've just spent the last about six weeks working quite closely with the team in, in Los Angeles who are making the new version over there. And we've done a ton of those. So basically all of my work is, is 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 taking the wheel theme and just having fun with it, doing it, and stretching it into loads of different genres. So they'll have a you know they'll have a, a guest that is a particular you know of a celebrity guest, and then we sort of we warp the theme into something that's a little musical nod in their direction and stuff. And that's great fun. I mean that's really good fun. So we did it in the UK. We did it with Chris's one. I think we did an eight bit one. We did I think we did a couple of others. Um, and so in America we're just doing basically that, but 
more and more. And I think it's lovely. I mean, it's great because to me, it just still, it brands the show with, you know, still keeping, keeping, keeping the music around, but it just, it allows us to have fun with it. And this is entertainment, you know, it is fun. A lot of it is fun. And I think that the fun of the music kind of reflects on the show and Michael feeds off the fun of that, which kind of makes everyone kind of get the joke again. So it's, 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 it's a nice thing to do if we can do it. More frequently than not, you're always invited back to the Royal Variety performance year on year. How does it feel to be composing music in front of the Royal family members like the Queen? Well, I mean, to me, when I got the job in 2012, and uh, I remember kind of just, I mean, I'd, obviously we've all grown up seeing the Royal Variety perform, but I didn't really know much about it and the, the history, so I sort of poked around on the internet, and I was like, absolutely flabbergasted because 2012 the reason that they brought me in was they wanted to do a big orchestral special at the Royal Albert Hall and it was like a big thing the Queen and Prince Philip were going to be there um, and it was the 100th anniversary and I was like oh my god well, let's have a look at the history and I was sort of going back looking at the people who had done my job in the past and it was just absolute musical titans going back to I think like 1917 like or something like that like Edward Elgar did it wow and, to me, the idea of like being asked to do a job that, you know, the once had been done by, I mean, I was embarrassed, you know, I was thinking, you sure you got the right number, you know, <laughs> um, well, I can't do that. But they sort of told me about it and they told me what they wanted and, and you know, I did a lot of music and they loved it and they thought it was great. And um, yeah, I mean, then we get there, the other hall and there's a, you know, Dave Arch and his orchestra there and playing it all and recording it all. And it was just like, absolutely phenomenal. It was just uh, a really magical time. And yeah, I mean, I've, I've done it now. Uh, well, since then, so what is it, like eight, eight, nine years or something? So, yeah, it's great. I mean, I'm, obviously, COVID's kind of made it a little bit strange, but um, I'm sure this year we'll be back up to speed again, or maybe we won't. I don't know how it's going to work. But the point is, it's, uh, yeah, no, it's a privilege. I mean, it's a real privilege. I mean, it's just, it's, it's one of those things that's like, wow, real feather in your cap time. But actually, at the same time, it's just, it's a lovely, it's a lovely thing to have been a part of because. You know, it's, it's it's live music. It's sort of you know you get to sort of be quite regal and fun and showbiz, which is another you know set of adjectives that are always good to play with. You know, throughout your career, you must have had the opportunity to turn things down. Have you ever had a regret of doing this? Yeah, I have sort of turned a few things down that have then gone on to do quite well, and I very very rarely do I listen to what the other person who did the music did. And it's very rare that I look at that and go, yeah, I could have done better than that. Most of the time I'm like, oh no, they actually did it really well. They, 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 you know, they got the right, the right person for the job there. And that, you know, in a way this sort of, karma but you know that kind of way that it's sort of the, the, the project finds the person or the, the person finds the project that you kind of like you know when I look back over the sphere of you know the, 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 the range of stuff I've done I have no regrets about the things that I didn't get or that I you know that I didn't do uh, because I always look at them and go this, this, this. if I had to swap all the projects I have done for the projects that I missed I'm very happy with the ones that I have done that's the best you can say so overall you come out on top but there are a few you just think eh. I wish I could have done that, or I, I would have liked to have done that, or I'd like to have fun with it. But at the same time, you can't you can't live in that world of the path not taken because you know ultimately you look at the thing and you just go, yeah, that, they, they they did a good job there. There's a couple where I look at them and I go, yeah, I think I could have probably nailed it better than that, but very few. What kind of position do you see yourself in in a year's time? Oh, stuck in the studio in a dark room with no windows and sort of you know 
lack of sleep and you know so but, <laughs> I don't know I mean I, honestly I, I, I never ever predict things or I never anticipate things I mean as a composer you are quite passive about the stuff you do um, if you know I, I, I always say you know anytime anyone rings you up and says could you make some music for me it's a privilege and I, I think if, if you the moment you stop feeling you know very honored to be part of these huge projects um then it's probably time to quit and i, I still haven't found i still haven't ever um lost that that sense of urgency or that sense of fun or that hunger to try and try something new and try and get a project off the ground or, or something like that it, it's still a it's still a great feeling that idea of you know and also because these things are so huge they're so expensive these programs you know these, these projects these series that they're fast and they've got so many moving parts and so many amazing people working on them um you think you know uh, it's, it's a privilege to be asked to contribute and and to be part of something that's bigger than you are so in a year's time if i'm you know 